everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. So this morning, as we get into Philippians 4, we're, gonna, we're coming at anxiety and fear today. And um, for those of you who have known me for a certain amount of time, one of the things you probably, as you get to know me, you'll get to discern that I don't really get too easily, like, frazzled or stressed about things. I mean, generally, I tend to be a pretty chill person. I know for my wife, who is super, like, achiever, perfectionist, like, she would love for me to be a little bit more anal retentive or a little bit more, like, she'll sometimes, like, say something. She's like, I need you to respond more. And I'm just like, hey, that's great. I'm excited. Let me finish my drink real quick, you know. I'm just, I'm just a little bit more chill. And it's not that I don't ever you know, have my moments or I don't ever struggle with fears or different things. And particularly, you know, uh, <laughs> this past few, past two or three years of church planting and marriage and juggling five kids. Why is he juggling them? I don't know. <laughs> juggling five kids. There's definitely been plenty of moments, you know, where my, you know, general chill has definitely been challenged. But usually by, by the grace of God, I've learned Uh, over time, how to walk in the peace of God and to honestly cut off just the constant, uh, the constant call and charge and challenge of just that horrible master that is fear and anxiety. And I say I've learned because it hasn't always been that way. In fact, uh, throughout my life, particularly as a child and, and, and in my adolescent life and my early adulthood, quite frankly, fear and anxiety was one of the hardest things that I had to battle. And it seemed like my waking and my working and my sleeping hours were constantly dictated by, motivated by, and shaped by just that spirit of fear and anxiety. And it could be all kinds of things. When I was younger, maybe it was uh, fear of the dark. You know, we, we grew up, I was in a charismatic household, and we had, you know, we went to a church that believed in angels and demons, and we watched all the Carmen videos, for those of you familiar with Carmen. You know, it's like I couldn't watch Gummy Bears or Care Bears or Scooby-Doo, but we will cast a demon out of somebody. Like, it was just that kind of thing. And, and so, you know, I, I mean, people were, like, scared of the boogeyman. I was, like, scared of the spirit of pharmacia. Like, there were real spirits out there. I'm like, y'all, we got to deal with these things. Um, it, it, or, you know, I also struggled with just different fears. Fear of, uh, fear, particularly one of the biggest things that I struggled with was the fear of not being enough. Not being smart enough, strong enough, man enough. When I experienced as, as, a, as an eight-year-old just abuse, physical abuse from uh, a neighbor's kid struggling with, you know, God, am I man enough? Do I have what it takes? Am I, am, am I smart enough? You know, sometimes because of people not understanding my uh, biracial ethnicity and my makeup, they would project their own fear and insecurity on me. And I'm thinking, man, am I black enough? Like, I don't talk this way. I don't act this way. I think differently. I don't carry certain things. 
And what I found is sooner than later, so much of my interaction, not only with God, but particularly my relationships with others, it wasn't coming from a healthy place. It was constantly shaped by this anxiety of trying to prove myself or, or not just avoid something. You know, a lot of times when it comes to fo- fears and phobias, we think of the things that we try to avoid, right? But what I found is it wasn't it wasn't just things that I would avoid, but fear and anxiety was compelling me to engage in things that I wouldn't have in any other circumstance. In ways I would say things and act in ways in relationships, not because of coming from a place of general love, but coming from a place of fear and self-preservation and trying not to be rejected. I remember at one point there was, you know, my mom mentioning to me, and she would always, you know, thank God for little nuggets little mom, motherly nuggets. And I think she saw me particularly stressed about a situation that I was in. And, and, and she mentioned to me, she said, John, she's like, you don't want to waste all your strength and worrying. You need to save some of your strength for finding solutions. That was a great nugget. You know, and I've often found myself, whether I was in a bad situation or a pickle, uh, like the Sandlot would say, that I would use that and I would remember that and I would take a breath and I would try to save my strength and try to think about how to form solutions. And as great as a nugget as that is in any other word of wisdom, it was still incomplete because I hadn't really had the right kind of revelation that God had for me to attach to it. And so then what I began to do is instead of, is I just now began to, to manage anxiety and manage fear in such a way that it was just kind of delaying things and creating a whole other cir- uh, set of circumstances. That's not the kind of life that God wants us to experience. God doesn't want us to go from one horrible, fearful, anxious situation to another and constantly trying to manipulate and control all the scenarios so that we can avoid pain and so that we can ignore what's happening. When we're fueled and we're, we're motivated by this thing, it just severs and it begins to tear away at the very fabric of the life stream of relationship that God desires for us to have, that we need to walk in the provision that he has for us. And so this morning, I'm excited about God's word because he helps us to understand what to do with fear and anxiety. It's not to suppress it, it's not to ignore it, and it's not to manage it. It's actually to present it to him. So let's jump in here, right in here in Philippians chapter 4. Now, one of the things that Isaiah did not read is actually the very, very first portion of this. We read uh, verse 1, for those of you who are wondering, uh, last week that was the end. But there's this part in verse 2 that I find very interesting, particularly because whenever I would memorize this passage, we would usually start in verse 4 or maybe we'd start in verse 6. But we didn't really spend a whole time on the first portion. I think it's probably because people couldn't pronounce their names. But verse 2 says, I entreat Eudonia and I entreat Sentisha. Now, you can laugh all you want to. But I don't know what your pronunciation is, but it's probably far from the right one. And uh, I was just feeling a little extra ethnic today, so it's Sentisha. Now, some of y'all know I was a Middle Eastern Studies major, and so I actually did have to look up the correct pronunciation, and it was going to make me sound way too sadiddy. You know, it's like, 
you know, and I'm like, no, no, I got time for that. So Eudonia and Sintisha, to agree in the Lord, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And now, when you read this portion in light of the rest, the thing I believe that the Holy Spirit wants us to understand is how significant walking in the right way and handling anxiety and fear, and really it's not about handling that, but receiving the love and the provision of God affects our relationships with one another. Because here he's saying, he's talking about two incredible women who have worked and labored for the gospel together, that their names are in, they're saved, they're right with God, their names are in the Lamb's book of life, and yet there is tension and there is disorder and there is dysfunction in their relationships. And I'm sure Eudonia is like, hey, y'all don't even know what Santisha did with me last week, and Clement needs to get his mind out of my name, get my name out of his mouth, all right? Tell Clement to go do something. There was, an, there was an issue. There was a, something so significant. It wasn't like they had Twitter. Didn't nobody text Paul from prison? Like, hey, man, you need to really talk to your girl, Eudonia. This ain't right. No, no, no. This thing, like somebody actually traveled. This came through the grapevine or from the horseback, found his way to prison. Now he, he you know, you look at the whole of this scripture, the whole of this letter, And it's very much a general thing. And then all of a sudden he calls out some people. And I believe his point is to understand if we don't get this revelation, it jacks up even our closest relationships. Relationships matter to God. Relationships matter to God. Our relationship with God but our relationship with each other, it matters. Oh, what the body of Christ would look like if we could learn how to not just leave Every time there's conflict in a relationship or with a church, if we could learn how to walk these things out. So he continues, and, and, and he continues kind of in this spirit. In verse 6, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What is he saying? He's jumping off of what he's communicated in terms of this relationship and seeing this reconciled, and he's helping people understand, listen, The way in which we carry ourselves matters because people are watching. People are watching in the way in which we handle ourselves, the way we act, our reasonableness. Let it be known to everyone. Let the way in which we carry ourselves, the way in which we handle conflict be broadcast so that people can see the right way in which to walk. And he says, because the Lord is at hand. That's basically a, 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 a different way of saying, ain't nobody got time for that. Life is too short for us to allow chunks of it to be consumed by bitterness and discord and division and anxiety. No day is promised to us. So let's not surrender years of our lives to the spirit of fear. When God's called us to walk in freedom and joy, continues in Philippians. That's where we're going to spend the most of our time here. In Philippians 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So the first thing is, do not be anxious about anything. Now, when I first read this, it's pretty clear 
do not be anxious about anything. And when I hear that, I don't know about you, that's like, you know, for those of us in here that maybe just love food a little bit more than the other person and not, don't really love exercise much, we're working on that. You know, I've had people at times, because that has been an area that Lord is walking me through, and I'm like, man, I really need to lose more weight. I need to, you know, I need to get in better shape. And then, like, some, like, really buff, skinny person who, like, is addicted to CrossFit and creatine bars comes to me and goes, I mean, it's pretty simple. You just work out more, eat less. And I'm like, uh, go choke on a nutrition bar or something. Like, it, it's like, really, is, that's, that's it? That's it. All right, God bless you. Thank you. We don't need anything, any other information. And I don't know about you, but if, if you struggle with fear and anxiety, if this is something, and honestly, all of us on some level have to deal with this, just reading a scripture that says, don't be anxious about anything, I'm like, that's it? Just, that's it. Keep your head up. That was the problem. My chin was too low. I just, that's going to solve everything, you know. Cheer up. No. It, it, that in and of itself just can seem so frustrating. Now, the, at least the thing that it reminds me is that if God's word is telling us something or instructing us something, that means that he has grace to help us actually achieve that. And he has provision for us to take possession and take hold of this. So it requires a little bit further understanding. So it says, be anxious for nothing. Okay, be anxious for nothing. So what do I do with my anxiety? What do I do with my fear? What do I do with my worry? What do I do with these things that wake me up in the morning and torment me as I try to go to sleep at night if I can even go to sleep? And he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what is he saying? He's not saying ignore the problem. That can be our tendency, right? One of the main ways that we tend to process stress and anxiety manifests kind of in two ways. Either one, we try to look for somebody to blame. We look for something or, or some person to blame, some circumstance. You know, what's the reason? Why did this happen? Whose fault is it? It's the man. It's society. It's Republicans. It's liberals. It's my mom. It's my dad. It's myself. And we begin to blame and we begin to cast shame and project those things. Or we actually begin to try to numb, numb the fear and anxiety by running to counterfeit connections. You get mad if I could, you know, I just need a couple beers in me. Maybe, maybe I'm going to find a new Netflix show or, 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 you know, eat another pint of ice cream. And we do these different things to numb that pain, to numb that anxiety, to help us escape for a moment, and in the end, all of a sudden, we come out of that, and now we feel even more shame because we haven't solved the problem, but we just added two pounds to our lives. We can't manage fear and anxiety. You see, we are never meant to carry things that Christ took upon himself at the cross, you can't, you were not made to carry and take upon yourself the things that Christ died for. He did that. He took care of that. So what we have to continually do is present it to him. Uh, the, um, 
theologian and, and the, the great Martin Luther, one of the, his quotes was he said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Right? In this life, there are always going to be stressors. There are always going to be things that are going to come that are going to try to stir up fear, that are going to prey upon just the sin nature of ourselves. The reality is because of sin in the earth and sin in us, there will always be certain triggers that we will have to process. However, when those things come, the way that we process them means everything. It means everything. Jesus, whenever he ministered to someone, he was never afraid to deal with the reality of the situation. There's an encounter where Jesus meets a man who is known as the, the, the uh, he was demon-possessed. He was, had been uh, naked, cuts all over him. He was found in a graveyard. People had avoided him. I mean, probably this was someone that whenever people would walk in his general direction, the mothers would cover their children's eyes and then cover their own eyes. And yet when Jesus interacted him, God, I I don't know about you guys, like there's times where I'm in certain ministry situations, certain life situations. You know, maybe I'm not, you know, especially if I'm feeling sick or I have certain symptoms, the last thing that you want to do is Google it. Especially Google images. That will just jack you up. Like, oh, Jesus, cleanse my mind, cleanse my eyes, burn my eyes out, actually, because I can't unsee that. And, and we can be overwhelmed by actually looking at the ugliness of a situation. Honestly, we can really not like looking at the ugliness of our own sin in our own lives and our hearts. Those areas that, man, we haven't dealt with or have just been you know, tucked away in that deep, dark room in our soul that we put like five different locks in and a Doberman outside. We don't like looking at those things because we have convinced ourselves if anybody knows about that, they could not love us. But Jesus was never put off by those kinds of things. He actually would speak and say, what is your name? What is the, what he wanted to identify, what is the very thing that is plaguing you? When he looked at Mary Magdalene, he didn't ignore the fact that she had been in sex trafficking. He wasn't blushing at the situation that she had found herself in or had been in. When God looks at your situation, he's not thinking, oh, don't tell me everything. Don't tell me everything. I just want to love you and pray for you for a little bit. No, 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 no. He actually wants us to recognize it. I remember listening to a TED Talk by Brene Brown, and one of the things that she was talking about is very important and essential for correct and proper connections is authenticity. And not numbing the reality of our situation, but actually acknowledging it. Not glorifying it, but acknowledging it. It's okay to acknowledge God, to take a moment as we feel anxiety and fear creeping up in our space, to take a moment to say, God, what is this? What is this thing that I'm fighting right now? What is it in me that is responding in this way because of this situation? For me, one of my chief motivators was the fear of rejection. Was the fear of rejection. 
So much of my interactions throughout high school and even the early, uh, my, my first two years of college were shaped based on the fear of rejection. I'm only going to let you get so close, but at the same time, I need you to get close enough that I feel good about myself. And so there was a trail of broken relationships and broken hearts and a broken man left because of me trying to manage and numb rather than being able to identify the reason that I'm in this situation, the reason I feel compelled to, to respond in this way and to act in this way is because, God, I don't believe you when you say you really love me. I don't believe you when you tell me that you love me because you are love, not because of what I've done. And so when we think about the spirit of anxiety and fear, Really, the root sin connected to it is unbelief. It's saying, God, you, I, you're a provider. Maybe you, don't, maybe you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe this is a new concept for you, and, and what you've told yourself is, I have these needs. And the reality is, all of us do have very core needs. It's not the need that's the problem. It's the way that we fulfill the need that becomes an issue. And so, We have these needs, and if we don't know God, then we just try to meet them in whatever short-term way that we can. Well, I I feel a need for affirmation and approval, and I don't feel it, so I've got to be perfect. I've got to do everything right. I need more degrees. I need a better job. I need to make more money. I need to have a wife like this or a husband like this or a career like this. I've got to manage certain relationships. And we, we do all of these things to meet those needs. And then what's even sadder at times is those of us who have given our lives to Jesus and by doing so are now in Christ and have access to everything we need for life and godliness, we forget. Or we don't really believe. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again on the third day. I believe that you that you promise forgiveness and eternal life to those who repent and believe and receive you, but I really don't believe you're going to provide in this situation. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I can trust you with my heart, God. I don't know. These things are really hard. I'm telling you, if God could conquer sin, death, and the grave, he can take care of that situation. Whatever it is, whatever it is. So he says, you don't have to ignore it, but we have to present it. We have to bring it to him. In Matthew 6, I want to turn over there real quick. In Matthew 6, Jesus in his own words is encouraging people in this passage. He says, in beginning in verse 26, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Thank you, Jesus. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of them. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more, even much more, clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is he reminding us and helping us understand? It's number one, you are loved. You are loved. You are loved by an eternal and amazing and unfathomable father who loves you not because of how much you make or where you came from. He loves you not based upon how many times you've read the Bible from cover to cover, how many Bible studies you've gone to, or how many cuss words you said in the last five minutes under your breath. He loves you because love is not just what he does, it's who he is. He loves you. And so, well, if that's true, and it is, then the issue at hand that we deal with is the fact that many of us either have not been connected to this love or we actually really find it hard to believe we're worthy of it. And shame has stifled the stream of the love and the grace of God from accessing us. Shame from the management of the poor management of that anxiety and fear. The death spiral, the cycle, it's like I feel shame because the situation I'm in, I feel fear, I feel anxiety. And so I'm going to numb it again with something that is only temporary and something I shouldn't be doing. And then I'm going to come out of it and I'm going to need the love of God. I'm going to need the grace of God, but I'm going to feel not worthy of it again. And so now I'm going to feel more anxiety and more depression. I'm going to numb it again. It's the death spiral. Y'all with me this morning? I know I'm not the only one that deals with this. So that's where he says, make your requests be known to God with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Why is it important that we do this? One, he's saying the way that you're going to do it is not by managing it. It's not by avoiding God. It's actually you need to present it to God. And what happens when we present it to God? One, it reminds us of the great love that he has for us and the provision that he has for us. How do I present this with thanksgiving? Because when we come to the Lord and we come and we engage with him, and we encounter him, what we see is that everything that we need is actually found in him. And every issue that we find, he actually had an answer for it. Every issue of shame that the enemy uses, I mean, the enemy goes crazy. If you're like, who is the enemy? Is it Donald Trump? No, we're not talking about him this morning. It's Satan. Okay? We have an adversary that hates you. He wants you to die. That's what he came for. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants your life snuffed out right now. He wants you to be miserable, depressed, and he wants to get you to take down as many people as you can on the way. And what he would absolutely love to do, I tell you what he loves to do, it's like his little skill set. 
is he loves to sneak little bombs in the pockets of believers so that even as you're living this thing out, that you can blow up as many people in the church along the way so that he can disrupt your marriage, he can disrupt your children, he can disrupt your church community if he can just slip in through the spirit of shame and fear and anxiety. But God comes and he says, don't run from me, come to me, because I know how to deal with that thing. And you can thank me in advance because you know I've already got an answer for this. That's why in the midst of anxiety, I can walk in peace, not because I figured everything out. Well, let me tell you, my favorite prayer and the prayer I've probably prayed more times than ever in the last three years is, God help, I don't know. I prayed every week. I found a new situation. I'm like, God, Lord, I've not been in this situation as a leader, as a pastor. Lord, I really don't know what's going on, but I know that you know, and so I just give it to you. It's not that we figured it out, but we figured out the one who has. I know that he has provision, and I know that he loves me. And you know what works really great? I know that more than he, I know he loves you more than I love you. And so I tell him, I say, God, you love these people. And so I trust because you love them, and I know you love them a lot, that you will help me love them with you. So I can come to him, and I know that whatever the situation is, though I don't understand it, and you know what, there's mystery in this life, we might not ever understand some of these things, that I can give thanks because I know his grace is sufficient. We don't ignore it. We submit it to the Lord. We present it to him. And there's something that happens, and it says this in verse 7. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? There is a peace and a security that comes from knowing, hey, God, it's on you. I don't have to manage this anymore. All I have to do is bring it to you, and now when you bring it to the God of peace, you get the peace of God. When you bring your situation to the God of peace, when we come into his presence, we get all the things that come with being in him. That means I have love. I have affirmation. I have freedom. I have one who I can cast my cares upon because he cares for me. I don't have to carry this shame. I don't have to carry this bitterness. I don't have to carry this anger. A couple weeks ago when we were in Baja, Mexico, the Holy Spirit just moved upon me. We were having this moment in worship, and I just felt very clearly the Holy Spirit said, John, there's some people that they've been carrying, they've been holding on to anger and bitterness towards their father, and they need to know that they can't carry that anger, that bitterness. They need to release it. And and, and so we prayed through this. God was setting people free. It was an amazing, beautiful moment. And just this past week, I got a message from a young lady. She said, for years, I've been harboring deep anger and hatred towards my dad. And that night, when you spoke that word, the Holy Spirit said, that is for you. You need to let it go. Bring it to me. I died for that. Let me take that. And she said, immediately, she felt like she lost weight and all of a sudden felt lighter. It's amazing that when we release these things unto the Lord, when we actually believe that he is who he says he is and he is our supplier, how now the peace of God will rush into our lives. Not because it's been all figured out, but because now he's in control. We've recognized you are in control. The peace of God that passes all understanding. What does that mean? It doesn't make sense. Going back to the way this chapter started with this relationship and this relational conflict, 
is when we walk in the peace of God that doesn't make sense, we can actually love people and forgive people in a way that doesn't make sense. And people are watching. It's amazing what an incredible, you know, sometimes you get intimidated. Sometimes some people get intimidated by the idea of evangelism and outreach, and it can feel overwhelming. You're like, I'm an introvert. I don't really like, I barely like to even ask people a question, let alone talk to them about Jesus. You'd be amazed at what a witness it can be if you actually demonstrated forgiveness and right relationships. You wouldn't even have to preach chapter and verse if you could just learn how to handle conflict in the right way, scripturally, and model that. Walk in peace and not be constantly offended. Our culture is like a powder keg right now. If you don't say the right word combination, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so offended by your privilege. Or I don't appreciate. the. I mean, there, I was watching some videos, and it was just like going on and on about how it's like people are so, we're so paranoid about communicating and having authentic communication because anything can be a trigger word. Do you understand the security and the peace that you can walk in if you know who you are in Jesus and whether that person looked at you the right way or didn't look at you the right way, whether they said the right word combination in describing your background or not, that doesn't determine who you are. And so now you can get past the offense and actually get to the root issue of the relational dynamic. There's so many times where I'm talking with Kelly and I'm like, Lord Jesus, help me to walk in your peace because we're just different. And so things that we say, like what I say, and I mean it this way, when she hears it, she hears it a whole nother way. And sometimes, like when she says something, she's not even trying to offend me at all. But I'm like, man, I can't even think right. I can't believe you said that specific word that doesn't mean what you think it means, but it means this to me because it triggered it from an experience I had in my senior year. And now I'm mad, even though we're just talking about whether we're going to have milk or not. Like we go in this whole crazy story mode projecting these whole situations and manufacturing stress and fears that are there because we haven't learned how to just walk in peace and security in the love of Jesus. The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It will guard my mind in the way that I receive information. It will guard my heart from bitterness and walking and resentment towards others or towards myself or towards God. And it says, continuing gives us instruction on how do we continue these things. He says, in order to keep this going, we got to meditate on the right things. He continues in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I've got to wrap this up, but the main focus is this, is that we're not going, you don't walk in this peace, you don't walk in this freedom just by, like, really wanting it to happen. See, the reason that we go to these counterfeit measures to numb, the reason why we settle for these counterfeit, counterfeits of peace is because they get really well advertised. Y'all hear me this morning. I mean, it's not like a trick question, you know. It's like you, you turn on the television, and there's beer commercials. There's vacation commercials. There's all these lifestyle commercials. You know, the ones that always get me are like the, like the prescription drug commercials where it's like you see people like playing tennis or horseback riding or like taking a bath like on the countryside. First of all, who's taking a bath up on a hill 
filling it with water. Like, this is not a great situation. I don't know why they always put that up there. But it's always like, you know, this thing, and like, hey, I've got genital warts. Yay. You know? And, and they have all of this scenario, and it's trying to entice you to buy a prescription drug. You know, or, or, or you know, maybe it's the worst of the food commercials or, like, the Food Network. Like, the Food Network jacks me up because it's like sometimes they've kind of they've fallen off with some bad recipes, but God forgive them. You know, but every once in a while, especially, like, oh, the, what gets me is, like, the, the, some of the short little clips of food, like, on Facebook where they show, like, the image. Because now they actually not just show you the food. They show you how to make it. So, like, ooh, I need to go to Kroger right now. Right? It's like it's what comes into our eyes, what is coming into our ears. Last night, whoo, last night I was having a hard time. I was going over my notes in the co-work space that I work in. And apparently there was a be- birthday party that just, like, got real live downstairs on the first floor, and there was a lot of lyrics that I'm not even going to repeat here, but it was bumping. I'm like, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding, pumps and a bump, pumps and a bump. I was like, whoa. (laughs) But I'm amazed, like, sometimes we can be like, Lord, why am I dealing with this fear and anxiety? Why am I so overwhelmed by these relationships? And then you completely ignore the things that are constantly coming in our ears, the things that are coming in our eyes. We've got to be filled with what is good, with what is right. It's not, we're not just, this isn't like, you know, sound of music. Just think of happy things, you know. Think of my favorite things. No, this is not what we're talking about. But in some ways, what we are saying is we've got to get this word in us. See, what he's describing, he's not just describing some ethereal thing. The word of God is what he has given us. God has given us his truth. See, we don't have to ignore the truth of our situation. But we do have is we need to fill ourselves with the truth of his word. What does he say about you? What does he say about fear? You know what the Lord says about fear? He says perfect love casts out all fear. So I can't manage my fear. Actually, what I need to do is I need to bring it to the one who loves me perfectly. Let him handle it. We've got to, when, I, when we talk about meditating on it, it's not like I just put my mind... Lord, I just pray that as I touch this Bible to my head, it will sink in like the matrix. All of a sudden, I will know all that is in it. No, no, no. It actually is intentional. We understand if we want our children to memorize Scripture, they're not just going to wake up and be like, hey, Father, I would like to memorize the Word of God today. No. They want to watch Transformers and Umizoomi. Like, that is their world. So we have to sit down and we have to say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to memorize this Word. We got Johnny. He doesn't even know half the things he's saying, but he'll memorize it. Ella, she's trying her best. God bless her. But we've got to intentionally digest the word. I want to encourage you just as a practical step. I want to challenge you. Begin listening. Instead of listening to talk radio or whatever you listen to when you're in the car, get some great worship music. Play it in your house. Just just play it in the background. It's amazing what will happen when the word of God is declared in the atmosphere. Worship changes things. One of the things that we're having this week, uh, this week on Wednesday as part of our uh, summer camp series is uh, we're going to have a worship workshop. We're going to be teaching on the foundational teachings on worship. I would highly encourage you. It's going to be from 6.30 to 8 p.m. here up in the classroom here. Come. This is not just for worship leaders. It's not just for worshipy people. It's for the believer so that we understand the power that we have in the confession of God's word. We want to meditate on it. We want to confess it. 
We want to declare it. It's important that we come. When we come here, I'm so thankful for that we get to come and we get to actually declare as a people biblical truth. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you sh- like you silence fear. That's a confession, a declaration you can take home with you this week. You declare it over the atmosphere. I need to wrap up. I want to close with just this one, this one just revelation is this. You, you hear this message and you're going to go home, and the reality is probably whether you even make it out the door before this happens is those same triggers, those same fears, those same situations that you have when you walk in are going to greet you. Maybe it's a workload. Maybe it's that you don't have a job. Maybe it's the relationship you are in or the one that you wish that you were in. Maybe it's the sickness that you've been fighting or for whatever thing, whatever the circumstance is, that anxiety and fears try to creep up on you. It enjoys having a hold on your life and it does not want to leave. However, that is not God's purpose for you. That's not his lot for you. His desire for you is that you would walk in connection with him. And that connection does not come by pretending that something doesn't exist. That connection doesn't come by your willpower. That connection comes by recognizing the problem, recognizing the answer, and choosing the truth. What is that? The reality is the the problem is the heart of it is sin. It's sin. It's the brokenness that entered the earth because of our disobedience. There's a division. There is a fight against your very soul. And it's not just on the outside. It's on the inside. Even our good deeds are like filthy rags to the Lord. Your good deeds, your works are not going to make it any, are not going to solve the problem. Our, our deliverance, our freedom, our peace comes from the God of peace. And so this morning, whether you are here and you have received the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, but this morning you need to be reminded and you need to repent of that sin of unbelief. You need to repent of the things that you've been holding to so that you can receive that grace, I want to invite you to do that. You might be in here this morning, and you've been carrying these things, and you've been trying to manage them the best that you can, but you know you've never, this is maybe the first time or maybe one of a few times that you've heard about this love, but you really didn't believe it was for you. I want you to know it is for you today. Today's a great day to get free. Today's a great day to surrender and stop living on that horrible, uh, torturous maze of anxiety management and to surrender it to him. I'm not telling you that it's all going to disappear and that it's all going to, you know, you're never going to have another anxious day. But I am telling you that you will have access to the God and the Prince of Peace. That you might not understand everything, but he does. And he will not leave you. His presence will follow you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you. So this morning, let me pray for you. Go ahead and bow your heads.
if you're here this morning and, and you, the latter is you, you say, man, I've been living with this fear. I've been living under this shame, this anxiety. <laughs> I don't even enjoy waking up from the moment I wake up to the moment till I pass out or fall asleep. There's a constant ticker going of all the things that I've yet to do, all the things that I have done horribly or all the things that I feel like I'm not good enough about. And I'm just tired of managing this. I want to walk in freedom. I want to walk in peace. I'm ready to repent of my sin and to receive this loving Savior as both king and rescuer. I want to surrender my life. I want to submit it to him. If that's you, just lift your hand. We want to pray for you right now. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just come before you, Lord, and I stand in the gap for these who have raised their hand. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have even moved upon their hearts to respond. But, Lord, I ask that you would give them the courage, Lord God. Lord, not just to raise a hand, but, Lord, to present their very lives to you. Lord, to repent of the sin that has entangled them, that has ensnared them, to repent, Lord, of even exalting themselves or, allow, or trying to allow themselves to be God, determining what is right or what is not, determining and, and manipulating situations to try to manage it. Lord, I ask that you would receive them as they surrender their hearts and their lives and their circumstances to you. And Lord, that you would make it new. That you would make them new. That you would take it upon yourself. Lord, you've already taken it on the cross. But Lord, you would receive it and that you would bestow upon them that you would release to them new peace, new life, new freedom. If you're here this morning, and, and you've been walking with the Lord, and yet you still feel yourself drifting to modes of numbing, to whether it's alcohol, whether it's whatever addiction that you have drifted to. And you say, today, Lord, I want to repent of this settling for a counterfeit peace. Lord, I want to remove this connection and renounce this connection, and Lord, I want to walk in what you have for me. I want to walk in your peace. If that is your prayer this morning, raise your hand right where you are. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for these people. Lord, I ask right now that you would begin pulling the plug in every entanglement of these counterfeit gods. These counterfeit pieces, Lord God, whether it be alcoholism, pornography, Lord God, whether it be uh, gluttony, Lord Jesus, whether it be relationships, dump, jumping from one relationship to the next, Lord, even whether it be rewards and, 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 and uh, uh, professional uh, status, Lord God, to meet these needs. Lord, I pray that you would wean them and that you would remove the umbilical cord, Lord, of these fake numbers and opiates, Lord, and that you would release to them the flood of your joy and your love. 
Lord, that it would be your love that compels them and motivates them, Lord God. Lord, that they would be reminded, Lord God, Lord, of your great care for them and that you are the provider, Lord God, that you have all that they need, Lord, that you are the one that affirms them and calls them righteous, that you are the one that sustains them and strengthens them, Lord God. But I'm asking, Lord, right now that you'd meet them there. I know that you will. Let's all stand together. Let's just lift our hands to the Lord as we close. Heavenly Father, we all need you. Lord, whether we see it or not, whether we understand it fully or not, Lord, every one of us, Lord, have things that we're managing. Every one of us have things that we're not just, not out of a negative way, but we're stewarding. Lord, I pray whether it's our marriages, our relationships, our jobs, our children, Whatever it is that you put before us, Lord, I pray that it would not be fear and anxiety that shapes us and motivates, and motivates us, but that we would be compelled with your love. Heavenly Father, fill us with your love. Fill us with your kindness. Lord, activate and release in us the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, that our interaction with one another and our interaction with you would come from a place, Lord, of fullness would come from a place of peace and not striving. We come from a place of freedom and not slavery. Lord, I thank you that you're here. Change us and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God praise this morning? Thanks again for joining us forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.